Okay, Paul, just talk so far. You've been in Charlotte for a while now, for a few months now. You've gotten seemingly assimilated, and things seem like they're kind of back to normal now from a radio standpoint. Yeah, I mean, listen, when, when we came back after being off six months, a lot of people wondered what it would be like, including me. And I don't know if I've admitted this too uh, loudly, but it, it was different. It was, a, it was a challenge initially, perhaps being off uh, in a different environment, different setup. And I wasn't really pleased with the first couple of weeks. It was a little frustrating just trying to, to kind of get everything back the way it was. A lot had happened. But I felt after a few weeks it, it started to click, and uh, I was meeting with one of my bosses uh, earlier this week from Bristol, and he asked me, so how do you think the radio's going? I said, I think it's going great. I mean, for the first time, I mean, I really feel confident. And, and radio is it's interesting. Uh, sometimes the show is dependent on guests, sometimes it's dependent on callers, uh, sometimes it's dependent on the, the events of the day, but it's also dependent on the host. And I feel as comfortable doing the show today, maybe more comfortable than I ever have, and I think that's critical because you have to go in there with, with confidence and knowing what you're doing. And first couple of days, I didn't even know what the light switch was. Well, technically now you're out of SEC country, even though that will be where headquarters is when the SEC network launches. But you were in Alabama, you were for so long, and now you're in North Carolina. Is that weird for you at all now? No, um, because I mean, ra- radio is a very personalized situation. It's not like television where your your environment is on camera and it matters. I mean, I, you, I, mean, I don't mean to sound this the wrong way, but I mean, I could do the show from the North Pole as long as it was technically okay. I mean, and now everyone's in. I mean, I know what's going on in the SEC, even if I'm technically in Charlotte. I mean, the callers are still the same, the guests are still the same. The only thing that's different is in the past. I mean, I'd be going to work. I mean, I'd stop at a gas station, and some guy would start talking about Alabama. Now they talk about Cam Newton uh, a little bit, but mostly. Hey, do you think P.J. Harrison? Uh, when do you think he's going to play for North Carolina? And by the way. He's a basketball player. So you, you mentioned that you're very comfortable back on air on radio. You're doing a lot of TV now, and you've done TV in the past with uh, many appearances on Outside the Lines, and you did a lot of regional television, but now you're in the, you're on the national scene. You're with the worldwide leader. How has that transition been on screen? Well, it was a little different. I mean, I think it's the same way. Uh, the very first game day I did was in Clemson. Uh, every week I go out and do an early hit. Uh, about six, I tape it at 640 Central, and it airs at 730 on SportsCenter right before game day. And I went out there, and there were 20,000 people, and I could barely breathe. And I looked down, I mean, I'm sitting where Fowler sits, about to do my hit. They, you know, they show the crowd, you know, and live from game day, everybody screams, and the guy asked me a question, and I never could hear it. And I'm just like grimacing. So about an hour later, it comes on game day. It comes on SportsCenter, and I'm, I'm just kind of standing there in the compound, uh, and Lee Corso walked by, and he looked at me and said, Paul, what's wrong? I said, what do you mean? I mean, you look so grim. He said, this is supposed to be fun because I was so hung up on hearing. And, he, and, he, he, and it, it, it taught me to relax. Yeah, it, it's high stakes. Yeah, there are a couple million people watching, but to embrace it. And it took a while. And with each week, the camera guy who, who does the shot said to me last week in Tallahassee, he said, man, you are so different today than you were 10 weeks ago. And I think it's another evolution where I do feel comfortable out there, even... Uh, the very first time I was out there with uh, 
with with everyone else, Corso and Kirk and Chris and uh, Pollock and Desmond. I mean, it was in College Station. I'm like, oh, what am I doing up here? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I still feel like you know, I took a wrong turn uh, and maybe you know won the American Idol version of Game Day, and you know this is my season. And it's going to end, but it, but it, but it's gotten long. It's really become become enjoyable. It, it, it's uh, at, at times a high wire act, and everything you say or whatever you say is magnified. You mentioned that you were more comfortable on the air and radio, and that you're doing well on TV now. Now it's obvious that you're having fun on game day, and you're doing what people expect Paul Feinbaum to do. But it does seem like there have been times where there have been some slightly awkward moments with you and some of the other on-air talent, including Pollock and Howard. And that, that seems like it was going to come with the territory anyway, but how has the reception from your colleagues on the air been since you've come on? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying this because I think people that know me know I shoot straight, but the tension on the air, sadly, for the fan base, it does not translate off the air. Uh, Pollock and I have become very close friends. Desmond and I, I don't know, some guy, uh, it was actually uh, Richard Deitch from uh, Sports Illustrated, he tweeted at us a couple weeks ago that he, th- he thought our, our on-air chemistry uh, would put us in line as the replacement for uh, the Lethal Weapon series. And I told Desmond that, I mean, he just literally fell on the floor laughing. He is that kind of character. I mean, he, he's just a fun-loving guy. And I mean, even when it looks personal, last week it probably looked the most personal when they were threatening, threatening to take my Heisman vote away. It's really not. I mean, afterwards, uh, everybody was laughing. And I think that's the difference is that, I mean, clearly I am an outsider. I, I didn't win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I didn't play quarterback at, at Ohio State. I, I don't have the talent that Chris Fowler has. So I didn't go in there saying, hey, man, look at me. I, I'm a radio talk show host from Alabama. I mean, I realized... You know, somehow I ended up on the first show, didn't know I was going to be on this next show, and now on week 11, I've been there pretty much every week for one or two. Um, so, I mean, I, I just take it as the as the new kid on game day. It's funny, um, in Chicago a couple weeks ago, I, 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 you know, because of the radio schedule, I usually get there pretty late Friday night. Every once in a while, I'll be able to get in early. But, so, I mean, I'm checking in the hotel at, at 11.30 midnight, and there... And I, I ran into Herbie uh, on the way to the room. We talked for a few minutes, and then these four fans were stalking him, obviously. And, and so I, then they start following me to my room. There are four drunk Ohio State fans, and they were looking at me like their head turned. And finally, one of them pointed and said, I know you. And I kind of looked like, please let me get to my room alive. And they said, you're the new guy on game day. And it, it's funny. I don't think anyone really knows my name around the country, but I'll, I'll go through an airport and people go, yeah, I know that guy from somewhere. So that's the difference. Everybody else on the show is well-known. They're on commercials. You know, they, they help build homes for Home Depot, and, and then there's the new guys. So it's, it's, it's been that, – that, that's something I've never experienced. So you've been one of the loudest and most public critics about this notion that Nick Saban would bolt Alabama and go to Texas or anywhere, really. You feel like he's comfortable here and you feel like he's going to stay. But if something like that happened, if Saban went to Texas, is it safe to assume that Paul Feinbaum would follow to the Longhorn Network? (laughs) You know, I was joking with some people today uh, during the photo shoot that – that my wife was in Austin today looking for a house. And, um, no. Uh, 
I'm really happy with the job I have. Um, you know, I, I've covered a lot of stories in my career, but I, I will say that this is the most manufactured, fabricated, idiotic and insane story I've ever covered. And it, it really drives me crazy sometimes on the air trying to say he's not going there. I cannot guarantee that Saban will stay at Alabama. Um, he may retire. He may go do something else. But I, I can. I will put my, I, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but I will put my entire career and what little money I have to say that he is not going to the University of Texas. Well, why are you so confident? You're obviously closer to it than a lot of the people at your network specifically are, and there are people on there on, uh, on different shows like Around the Horn and others who are predicting that Saban will go just because of this report. Now, what makes you so confident? Well, listen, I have not even passed my three-month probationary period, so I'm not about to start criticizing <laughs> a panelist on Around the Horn other than to say that if anyone on that show or any other show says they know he's going to the University of Texas, they have no idea what they're talking about. I feel like it's based on years in journalism of watching stories unfold and also years of knowing Nick Saban and knowing, thinking I know how he, he rolls. And this is just not, uh, this would not be in his card, car, in, in his wheelhouse. Um, yeah, yeah if, if, if the Jets or... Uh, some other NFL club came to him. I could understand a challenge like that, but this is not even a challenge. I mean, Texas is not as good a job as Alabama. Talking about your show, you're back on the air now, and callers seem to have reassimilated back on the air. There are a few who haven't called in, notably like Jim from Crestwood and a few others, but there have been some callers who have been critical of the new format of the show, one that you just got done talking to during that segment, Jim from Tuscaloosa. Do you sweat any of that criticism? I know you're going to do what you're going to do, but, I mean, the callers are important to your show, but what do you think of criticism like that? Well, I think, I think in the early days uh, I, I took it to heart because, you know, we were navigating a new frontier. I love the passion of the callers where they think they know what's right and wrong. But, but I've also heard people uh, over the years, uh, when we made the move about seven years ago to go to Jocks, there were people who said the first day, this isn't the same show, it's terrible, it will never work. Um, so I, you know, we had probably the six most successful years in the show's history at, at WJOX. So I take it with a grain of salt. Um, we don't know everything. I mean, we, we, I, I'm, I think more than any talk show host around, I mean, I, I will listen to the fan base. And I do, but I also feel like we know what we're doing. Which callers do you think have best assimilated so far? I mean, Jim obviously gets on the air a lot, but, I mean, who do you think has taken it in stride and is, is kind of flourishing now in the new format? I really think, in a way, Jim is doing better. Because I, mean, I think Jim, I mean, I, I do listen to the guy. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I believe he's, very, he's the most passionate caller we have. I think he cares more than almost, uh, I mean, at least in terms of sharing it, because... What was fascinating to me was the, the five or six months off. I mean, I, I didn't expect. I mean, everyone's heard me say you know, we walked out on a Monday night. I didn't know what was going to happen, and it, uh, it definitely affected you. It affected me to hear the reaction when we came back to, to realize how truly important the show was to so many people. I mean, I knew it was important to me and to the people I worked with, and but I. I mean, you, you don't really go, wow. Uh, I mean, I really did go, wow. I cannot believe it impacted people the way it did. 
Well, and speaking of fan bases, you were out in uh, Arizona when Auburn went out and played Oregon, and you interacted with a lot of the Oregon fans, and obviously their season hit a little bit of a wall last night, and they had this promotion where they had these We Want Bama shirts, and now those seem obsolete at this point. What do you think about it when fans do things, and fan bases do things like that, print shirts like that? Obviously, there's some excitement with their season, but, I mean, now, how do they look? Well, I mean, listen, fans are always going to look stupid when their team loses. I was with some Oregon fans in Seattle a couple weeks ago, and I mean, they're, they're, they're a really arrogant, cocky group of people. And everywhere I went in Seattle at, at UW that day, hey, we, you know, we're coming after. I mean, good for them. Um, Florida State last week. I mean, I, I was I had a pretty rough time. I mean, there was heard my name. I heard f bomb connected to a couple of other f bombs repeatedly when I was on the set when I was doing my segment. Um, but that's that's college football. Everybody, uh, I mean, is, is, if you win, you look great. If you lose, you look like an idiot. About the Heisman, because you do have a vote. You've been impressed with Johnny Manziel, and you've been very public with how you feel about how he's played and the level of competition that he's playing uh, in his second season with A&M. Are you still trending that way, or have other guys like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota or even A.J. McCarron made themselves more relevant in the race to you? No, I've been on the Manziel trained for a couple weeks and uh, I think I think uh, the Oregon game just you know, helped to support the case um, I think Winston would be next and, and then you know you have to decide uh, and I'll decide after Saturday night uh, if AJ McCarron performs well no reason to think he won't then I think he probably moves into uh, that spot I mean Petty gets a lot of consideration but I'm not a believer in Baylor I mean I, I'm not I just, I'm sorry. Well, famously, you weren't back when Robert Griffin won, when you were a Trent Richardson supporter at that point. I was, and I, I, I stand by it. Uh, I, I thought I thought people in the national media, which I was not in at the time, uh, helped to hijack the Heisman from Trent Richardson on the final weekend. He did everything he needed to do. And uh, some of my colleagues now... Uh, started talking about RG3. He had a big game that weekend, and it was all over. And now it's like, can you believe Paul Feinbaum didn't vote for I mean, big deal. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't run away from my opinions. I mean, I've been wrong a lot, and I, and I try to admit that. Uh, but I'm not going to you know, apologize for something I did two years ago. Right, and Robert Griffin was also 8-3 and three then, too. And you have Bryce Petty, who's undefeated this year, and he's not even getting that kind of consideration. I think right now my third choice would be between Petty and A.J. McCarron. Speaking of the BCS, obviously this is the final year for the BCS as it currently stands before we switch to a college football playoff. This is obviously another tricky scenario with a handful of unbeatens remaining. Everyone has been clamoring for a playoff or something other than the BCS, but do you feel like there's going to be something that people miss about this kind of chaos? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's great radio, it's great television, it's great blogging, it's great tweeting. Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss it terribly if it's cut and dried next year. I mean, it, it's already a little boring today without the chaos of, of yesterday. Uh, I, I mean, we're not talking about the top two anymore. And by the way, I mean, the, the narrative is set. Now, I'm, I'm not about to say who sets it. Um, but, I mean, once the narrative is set, then we all kind of go, we, we roll out of bed and go, oh, I just saw Herb Street said the two best teams in the country, which is good. I mean, these, I mean, he knows a lot. He goes to games. He, he, he studies it. So, but we're all influenced by... This may sound silly for me to say. We're all influenced by what we see on ESPN. You talk about the grind of coaching as something that 
could lead to Saban retiring. Would the grind of a daily talk show and uh, your your television commitments ever make you step away from what you're doing, or do you see yourself doing this for as long as you possibly can? Well, I mean, listen, uh, I mean, I remember Steve Spurrier saying in, in his late 40s, early 50s that he couldn't see doing this in his 60s. I mean, I've got a few years to go, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would never say uh, that I'm going to do this for a couple of years. I mean, I'm, I'm just re- really just restarting uh, a totally new career. Uh, I mean, I signed a five-year contract. Um, I'm more concerned getting into the end of the first year than, than worried about what's going to happen at the end of five. Well, as far as this weekend, obviously it's a big weekend in college football, and it has been with this sort of like new rivalry in the SEC, and this has become the most important college football game there is nationally. Do you see Alabama sort of faltering this weekend and LSU sort of ending their next run for a national championship, or do you think Alabama handles its business? I think Alabama will handle them. I mean, I think it will be an interesting game, but I, I think there is a better chance of Alabama blowing LSU out than of LSU beating Alabama. I'm not one of these guys that oh, I have a feeling, I think, that's what I think. Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't buy LSU as a, as a national championship contender. They're good. Uh, they should have won the, the Georgia game. They should have won the Ole Miss game, but guess what? They didn't. So that indicates to me that uh, they have some flaws and Alabama will take advantage of that. We talked about the saving thing before. We don't think he's leaving. Obviously, you feel that way. Say if he did, is Alabama in a position to hire somebody? I mean, I mean, Nick Saban is obviously irreplaceable, but what's the next step for Alabama when the day comes that he does leave? I think all you can do is talk about what, what would happen in January. If Saban stepped down and said, I'm, I've had enough, I'm going to uh, the NFL, I'm, I'm going to take a year off, I'm going to write a book, hope he doesn't come at the same time as ours. Um, I'm going to work for, I'm going to be on the NFL today and talk about Belichick. I think Kirby Smart would be elevated. I think that is today. It, it, it makes the most sense. Beyond that, I don't know. But I, I cannot imagine them. I think they would. the system's there. Let, let somebody who's Nick Saban Jr. run the system. So everybody knows about this book that's coming out, and you've been working on it for a long time, and it's a major project of yours. Is there any more light about it that you can shed to people who obviously are looking forward to reading it? Well, I think uh, a lot of it's to be determined. Uh, the way the season ends will, will have a big impact. Uh, if Alabama wins, then uh, you know, there'll be a lot of debate in the book about Nick Saban's role in history. Um, debate that will probably upset people who uh, are, are over the age of 60. Um, but I, I think it would be, uh, the book was pitched as autobiographical. Um, it, was, it was presented as a story of this program, the intersection of the fan base into the culture of the SEC. Uh, and, and I think it's still evolving. Uh, I mean, Gene, Gene Wojciechowski is doing the book with me. We, we spent a lot of time. He came in uh, in May. And we spent all week just, you know, you know, what was the, what was the name of your first dog and you know the first girl you kissed, you know, all that stuff. And, and, and we talked about there there will be stories in this book I've never told. I'm not trying to sell the book. It's already been sold. But I mean, I'm going to reveal things that I think people will find at least surprising. Uh, I've never talked about some of this stuff, you know, relationships with coaches, uh, my feelings toward them. Um, the callers will play a big role. 
the, the, but the culture of the SEC will be a big part of it as well. I mean, this is a national book. This isn't, you know, a book that we're, 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 that we're only selling in Alabama. So, I mean, you do have to, it has to be a broad-based book. So I wanted to ask you some quick questions about your callers. Obviously, I man just called in, but uh, Tammy is here in this restaurant. She's obviously made a scene since she's been in here, as she tends to do. These callers have been extremely loyal to you and loyal to the show and vice versa too because I know that they participate in some events outside of the show. What is it about these callers in particular who obviously impress you and and entertain you that you think have really managed to make a lasting impact and and managed to stay a part of the show? Well, I I think... I think callers are, are props for most shows. You know, let's uh, go to a 30-second cut of somebody. And I think on our show, uh, you know, we have a real relationship. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not here much, but you know, like today, I mean, we, we have luncheons, we have people up to the studio. I mean, really, really do know them, and I think that's important because they they, they at least can understand what the show's about. And that, and besides, I think the callers here. Or the show. I mean, this guy did a book a couple of years ago, and he, it was primarily about the callers. And, you know, everyone said, well, you know, when this show transitions to ESPN, the callers are out. Well, are they out? I mean, I think the callers are there. And they may have, you know, we've ebbed and flowed, but uh, I, I firmly believe as we go, go toward next year, the callers will still be a critical part because I don't want to speak for ESPN. But I can relate things I've heard in Bristol and everywhere else that part of the attraction of this program to the SEC network was the connection with the fan culture, with the, with the fans. And this network will have a lot of things. They'll have games and uh, various shows and coaches' shows and coaches' press conferences and specialty programs. But this program is the connection to the people that I think make, make it happen. Um, I've been on this rant for a long time that two years ago on this weekend, the most important people at the LSU-Alabama game were not the 105,000 in the stadium, but the 60,000 in the quad watching it on a jumbotron or a big screen. To me, that's where the sport is going. Those are our callers. Uh, they make the, the folks who go sit in the, in, the, in the presidential boxes a little bit uncomfortable. But they also buy the jerseys, and they, 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 they save up to go to the, the BCS game or the championship games, and uh, I feel like we represent them. Now, I, w- I want to ask about Phyllis really quick, because Phyllis has really seen a resurgence, I think, this year, and she's calling a lot more than she used to after she had taken a little bit of a break for some personal reasons. It seems like you've been having a lot of fun with Phyllis this year, particularly this week. You say that she has the same old calls, and it's just kind of you, obviously, you know, doing what you do with Phyllis, but why have you been having so much fun with her? Over the years, I've been fairly passive. I've let these people just go on and on and on. I think it, I think now you know, we have a little more time, less time for calls. So I feel like I need to push them or push their buttons. Can't decide which one it is. Um, so I, I mean, when she, you know, Phyllis has a bad habit of just going off, praising, and not being interesting. And I think I've made her a little more interesting, a little, a little coaching. Yeah. So you think she's gotten better? Oh yeah. I mean, when Phyllis is on fire, as Danny Cannell found out, there's no one like her. I mean, Danny Cannell. I mean, he has mentioned her. Two different times on ESPN, or three different, three times. And Phyllis is definitely in his head. 
Well, speaking of Danny Cannell, I mean, you've had obviously Tim Brando and Gary Danielson in some cases who have become, and I know this isn't a flattering term, sort of a whipping boy for uh, your callers. It seemed like Danny Cannell has, is now the reigning champion. Danny Cannell is the midseason MVP. Uh, for a million reasons. It was funny. I was on. Uh, I was. I was in, in Bristol two weeks ago, and we did a Sports Center segment together. And the anchor, uh, Jay Crawford, who used to do First Take, he said to me as we were walking off, he said, "I have to, I've got to tell you that was fascinating. I mean, you guys have a rare chemistry." He said, "How long have you known Danny?" I said, "I met him for the first time this morning at nine o'clock." And that's hard to do, uh, but it was fun to do uh, because he's not afraid to say what he believes. I mean, Danny this year. Oregon's the best team. Georgia's the best team in the SEC. Bobby Bowden's the best coach of all time. He's having a rough year. <laughs> At the end of the BCS run, and the SEC is still in the midst of its championship run, and if Alabama wins this year, it makes it, what, eight in a row? Do you feel like, as this playoff sort of comes into form, do you feel like the SEC, as it is now, is going to continue to dominate despite the format change? I mean, the easy answer is yes, but I, I remember before the season, everyone said, well, you know the SEC will be in the BCS game, and I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I think the odds favor the SEC, um, but it is impossible to make that claim with a high degree of authority. And with Nick Saban specifically, you're, you're, you're close to him, you've, you're friends with him, you know the program extremely well. It doesn't seem like he's slowing down. And the 60-minute segment that aired showed that he seems to still have the drive to keep going. If he stays at Alabama like we've discussed, how much more success could he possibly have? I think it becomes more difficult. Um, and anyway, I've studied people who are very successful, and at some point... You, you reach a point of you, you reach the point of no return where the pressure becomes so suffocating that no matter what you do, things start to go against you. I, I think Nick Saban, as great as he is, has been incredibly lucky. I think uh, you know he had some maybe bad luck in 08. I thought that was a great team. Um, nine things pretty much went his way. Ten everything went against him. Uh, Bounce back in 11, even though I thought he had the best team the night he lost. Last year, no, no rhyme or reason how he ended up back in the national championship. Not only did you know, everything have to go his way, but Ohio State had to be on probation. So, I mean, he, he's a smart guy. If he pulls this off again, I mean, he, he's got to be going, yeah, I, how, how many more times can I, I do this? Uh, and people say, well, he could win five or seven. I mean, I don't know. You, you know I've seen Tiger Woods was supposed to break Jack Nicklaus's record. Something went wrong, hasn't won since. You never know. Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer of all time. And look at all the, you know, the, the clowns who've won majors since he's won one. So, uh, real quickly on Auburn, too, it seems like Malzahn has the program turned around. They're obviously successful this year, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But do you see the Iron Bowl rivalry becoming what it once was again and becoming competitive again and, and possibly even supplanting this Alabama-LSU rivalry in terms of competition? I mean, the, I mean, the obvious, the easy and obvious answer, oh, absolutely. But I still remember a year ago when it's the worst game I've ever been to. Um, I think it is in a healthier place. I think the game in three weeks could be one of the all-timers, if. But right now, the best rivalry in college football is LSU-Alabama. Paul, thank you for the time. My pleasure. It's been great.